to the Y Hockey Periodical Podcast. Sports are really overwhelming right now. The Olympics are going on, and I earlier today watched a rewatch of the U.S. women against the Dutch, which was a crazy game. And then there's the NBA draft, and then the NHL went hog wild. And this is the uh, Major League Baseball trading deadline that's going on as we're recording this. So sports have literally been overwhelming, and it's amazing. And I love it. I'm happy to be taking a break from baseball for, you know, the last couple of years and don't really follow the Olympics and, you know, with the Panthers getting their business taken care of and all that stuff. I've, you know, coming back from vacation, it's been pretty the opposite for me. Well, I, I should also mention that Oklahoma and Texas wanted to join the SEC because they're greedy, but it's a good thing you don't pay attention to that because that was also really stupid. But we can only focus on one thing nope. at one time. We got Hungaro ring this weekend for F1, but that's about it for me. We can focus on one thing at one time, and that's the hockey. So how this is going to work, uh, we're going to start with the Panthers, then we're going to move on to the Flyers, and we're going to go division by division and talk about all the things that have happened, uh, which means... We're going to get to yelling at the Canadians for being complete and utter embarrassments to the sport. Same with Carolina. Nobody's going to be spared from this. Uh, by the way, if you want to listen to the draft podcast with Will Scouch, please do. Great show. I also ranted about what Montreal did then. Uh, but it's really good to uh, talk about the draft, what the Panthers did, some other teams. Uh, really fun. You get a look at 2022 as well. Very. I enjoyed that episode. Uh, you know, his thoughts aren't dissimilar to mine. We're, we're pretty... Especially the you know the main four picks of Semoskevich, Naus, uh, Lukashevich, and Jarosimov. Um, I think I did pretty well with those names. You did. You did all right. No, nothing too bad about that. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, you have that. We've got. I wrote something. Please about, listen. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Well, appreciate. Yes, it. he is awesome. One of the great people to talk. Next to. year, I hopefully won't have a vacation scheduled on your draft day because that draft day should be, you know, pretty ironclad. Be in the, end of, be in the June. Uh, we'll go over uh, all of that in a second. Again, I also wrote something for the white hockey Substack, which is again, more written thoughts about how I'm really embarrassed with the sport of hockey for all the crap that happened after the one moment where I was thinking probably wrongly, but maybe in my naivete and hope, of what happened last Monday when Luke Prokop came out, that maybe hockey was getting its act together somewhat. We'll get to right. that. And, and that's looking beyond all the recent memory crap before that Monday you talk about yeah. and, and Luke's I mean, announcement. So. Maybe there was a little hope in my mind. Maybe. But we'll get to that later. Uh, we'll focus on the Panthers first. And I joked earlier that they have really not participated in free agency i mean they made a big trade but they haven't really participated in free agency in the way that other teams have with just going completely hog wild with contracts that are ludicrous and we will get to those but for the panthers and a lot of their business has been re-signing their own guys and it's going to get into a debate that i want to get into uh, with you right now which is how much do you want to bet on your own guys do you want to get married too much to your own guys, but then change for the sake of change and free agency not being, you know, particularly good. So I'll start with this for the Panthers. They made a lot of changes, obviously, last offseason, and almost all of them were short-term bets to see who would pan out, and almost every single one of them worked. So I don't really blame Bill Zito for going back to the well here. And a lot of these players, we'll go through them individually, a lot of these are bets I don't mind. And there's nothing much I can say for reasonable bets that are at this point 
ones that a team should be taking. You should show faith in your group and belief that this group can do more than it did last year. And I think that's what the the uh, the point of this offseason was for the Panthers so far. And listen, compared to some of the other things we've seen, I don't mind it. It's very nice for the Panthers to kind of just sit back, do their own thing, and just wait for everybody else to do what they do. There's a few reasons why Zito would do it or why it was the right move. I mean, I think when you really look at it and you just want to do it pragmatically, uh, you know, there was maybe only two players who you didn't know whether they should commit to or not, and that was Montour and Bennett. Was that from the? Is that not enough sample size to get from them to really know? Um, but I think what Zito's planning on is I'm gonna, you know, give them maybe. I don't want to say that they were exp- you know, over market value or bad contracts or anything. But Zito was the contracts he signed show that he's placing confidence in them. They have a little bit of a term. Um, they have a little bit, I don't, you know, they were probably five, 10% higher, or, you know, a little, you know, a couple hundred thousand higher than I thought they'd come in, especially re-signing with the team under RFA control and stuff. But it's not going to break the bank. It's not going to hurt you. And you listen to Carter Verhage signing that extension, how, you know, he wants to be here. He hasn't really left the ice, you know, too much. He can't wait to get back in the locker room. He loves all his teammates. You know, when you when they probably got the exit interviews that they got, that that everybody was pulling the same way. They all liked each other. They all know that they kind of missed an opportunity this year and they're hungry to fix it next year it's going to be hard to go back to that locker room and say, I heard you, everybody was on the same page, but I decided to that we needed to break it up and stuff. I think you get a little more mileage out of your players by putting that belief in them. And especially when you just, you mentioned, there was a lot of turnover before. Um, getting some consistency, getting some, um, you know, accountability. You know, part of that accountability is, being able to trust that you can give certain feedback, you can challenge, you can push, and then you can hold people accountable. And you build that by being with the same people every year. And this this wasn't a group that really necessarily needed to be broken up too much more than, than what they did, which was just kind of shed some of the older, you know, kind of expendable players and guys that, um, you know, they could get a, they could live without, like, as much as we like Wenberg and, you know, if he signed at, you know, four, four million or maybe three, eight or something for two years or three years, he probably would have been here, but, you know, good for him getting another opportunity and Florida's not going to really miss a beat. So you look at just the way that this roster is going to shake out. We, we may see more movement because I don't think it's entirely done yet, but really, you're, you're subtracting Yandel and Strawman. We'll get to that. You're subtracting Wenberg, but essentially replacing him at this point with Sam Reinhardt or more of Sam Bennett. And what you're doing, and you're replacing Chris Drieger with Spencer Knight, so you're not really going through much turnover. And last year, that team was already really, really good. And now it's that faith in the group that is obviously heartening. It's the... Faith that their Bill Zito is showing without giving deals that are too long-term. Like, the longest he gave out was four years for Sam Bennett. But even then, like, 
you can see why you would do that. All, no other contract was longer than four years, and we'll get to Barkoff in a bit. But yeah, I mean, Bennett had the arbitration, and he has the profile that arbitrators usually rule in favor of. So you kind of get it. It it makes sense for the Panthers to do what they're doing here, and none of these contracts. You go and you look. Wow, that's going to be a huge problem down the line. You don't look at any of these contracts and go, okay, there's no way that if it goes wrong, we can't move this. We can't get out from under this. Because even with Sam Bennett, he's a first-round pick. He's a top-five pick. Somebody's going to say we can get the most out of him. And so I think when you put all of it into perspective, you don't see any major overpays. You don't see contracts that are too long. You see contracts that are timed with the players' peaks. You see that timed with a window where the Panthers are going to try to maximize their opportunity to win. Yeah. So and they're not too goofy either. You know, they're they're but they're also, you know, contracts that agents are happy to sign and agents are going to be, you know, hey, look at these deals I can get get, you know, other players and stuff that they represent. So, you know, it's it's the nice balance of kind of the culture and you know keeping it together and and being a good place to work and and getting a good environment being attractive uh to other players in the future um while also like you said managing that cap and keeping that flexibility and fluidity because you know zito and the panthers ownership has always talked about it and and won it uh and then with zito you know he's willing to make moves and, and jump right in on stuff, even if it means trading guys he just drafted, doing it's, something like that. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating thing when you look at the scope of all these moves and how he was willing to give up on some guys who weren't, you know, grade A prospects, but some he just drafted in order to make moves for the team to be better. And that's no offense to those prospects, who I hope are all good players, but he's willing to do what is necessary to win. He's willing to do what is necessary to say, we are going to take this and we're going to run with it. We've got a chance. We have to take advantage of it. And he's willing to lean into what his advantages are. You know, it seems kind of silly, but when you think about it, like he's put in his draft room at the Fort Lauderdale Yacht Club. When he does his free agent day press conference, he's doing it with a background of palm trees at a beach. You know, he's taking advantage of it. And I think good teams take advantage of every single advantage they have and maximize it. And Bill Zito's starting to understand, like, you know what? We're not selling that we're South Florida. We're not selling what that means. You know, a lot of teams will sell, you know, their organization, but they won't sell, like, the city in the same way. And we see some teams have trouble with that. But now Bill Zito's going, hey, I'm selling South Florida here. I'm selling what his lifestyle is. And and he's doing it with a bit of personality. With South Florida, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, like, you, you look at what he's wearing, like, what he wears to the office and shows up to press conferences and stuff is like what I wear on zoom calls and stuff as a remote worker, uh, the last couple of years of my life. So I, I love it, but I think it also shows, you know, he's not going to be a Lou Lamoureux where, you know, you have to shave clean. You have to wear a pinstripe suit and certain, you know, certain colors and you can only wear certain colored dress shirts and ties and things like that. Or, you know, I think that this team is going to, you know, has the runway to be a little more, um, you know, comfortable and cocky. Yeah, free-spirited, comfortable, cocky. And, you know, I think they're they're clearly doing it to get the best out of players. 
you see it with Sam Bennett. I mean, that's kind of part of what they're doing is, you know, players play the best and, you know, when they're most comfortable, Sam Bennett clearly wasn't comfortable. He's now saying he's having the most fun. He feels, you know, he can be, um, you know, just himself. He doesn't have to worry about a lot of things and that's why he's having so much success. I mean, it's, it's why we are such big proponents and advocates for, you know, hockey being for everyone and going the extra mile to make sure people and your teammates and stuff are comfortable. That's what real leadership is because even just in a pure selfish hockey terms, that's when you get the most out of them on the ice. Um, There's a couple couple factors in that that I find interesting. And the first of it is somebody brought up Pat Riley and it feels, you know, kind of feel not, not that he's Pat Riley in the sense that Pat Riley is an all time NBA legend. And yeah, he's, he's accomplished. But He's starting to figure out like, can I be a Pat Riley type for this franchise? Can I start using the things that Pat Riley did to exploit, you know, the advantages he had running the Miami heat to do the same thing with the Panthers. And there's some, it's, it's way too early to say that because Pat Riley obviously has won multiple NBA championships with the Heat, but the Panthers are starting to exploit that a little bit, and I think that's really important. And the other thing that you're you're seeing with this team is, you know, you're getting versatility on the ice. That's important. But they're also leaning into, you know, what are our strengths? We're just going to be this offensive fun team. You know, we see all these teams trying to be big and mean and nasty because that's what apparently wins in the playoffs, except it wasn't actually what won because people are misinterpreting how Montreal got there and why Tampa was good. And they're saying, you know what? How about we exploit the fact that we're just going to be a fun offensive team, and if we have to outscore you 8-6, we'll do it. You know, they're leaning into that. They're leaning into, I think, the, the qualities that they have as a team and not trying to, you know, sully them, in air quotes, to, to win a different way or win the way you think you have to win. They have a plan, and they're, they're sticking to it, and that's all you could really ask for, even if you might disagree with quibbles here and there. And that's why, you know, you're acquiring a player like Sam Reinhart, who was a plus player last year in almost every important regard, even on a really terrible Buffalo team. And now you're putting him on a team where he could be a first-line winger or a second-line center. And you go and you think about what this Panthers' top nine could be like next season, and you're going this is going to be one of the most fun teams to watch on a night-in, night-out basis. They might have duds, but on any given night, they could score eight if they want to. And I mean, just as neutral, that's going to get people in the building because you want to see that. And also for the, the purposes of this team, it gives them an identity that is different to what other teams are. And it's not like they aren't going to be willing to scrap and grind to get in the playoffs. You know, you saw what they were willing to do against Tampa to beat them and they weren't good at it yet, but, they're, they're not sacrificing what you need to do to win in the playoffs by having this different identity compared to some other teams in the league that are at their level. And that is worth something. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I think we've sung their praises enough. And, you know, I think that just goes to show the low bar of just not worrying about every single announcement your team's going to do because the front office and the ownership aren't aligned or, you know, whatever the current flavor of the week is, or, you know, it's nice and everything, but with that comes exceedingly high expectations. You know, we would say that the Panthers conservatively are top six to eight team in the NHL, probably pushing more to five, six with, you know, some teams like Boston, um, you know, maybe bleeding a little bit and coming back down to earth. 
um, and, and Washington as well. So it's not like they should be doing this. They ha- they're they now at this level and they have to keep improving. You know, we, we talked about how, you know, right now they're probably done. But I looking at this team, there's still a lot of room for improvement, especially if I'm considering myself a top six to eight team in the NHL. Um, and I have an ability with the G- GM, you know, last year, what Zito did from training camp through picking up people off waivers, you know, making some trades and stuff in a short time with GM as, you know, people started getting closer to having them become cap compliant and doing all their juggling. And after you get through camp, you know, Florida will know more about who they can and can't give up. So will Zito, but other teams will will as well. And that's where some more moves can happen. And I think that Zito's kind of positioned himself to have, you know, competition at the forward and especially at the wing spot with young prospects with, you know, guys in their prime or, um, you know, Hornquist and stuff, some guys on their downside of their career. Um, and it's up to them to win out a spot or they could be moving to fill a hole or to patch an injury that happens in camp or something like that because Zito can never really be done. He, I, I know for a fact he's not, you know, stopped taking calls or stopped making calls and stuff. Um, you just don't really ex- – they're not probably – ready to sign a bunch of people. They're not probably doing big things. You know, Christopher Gibson, it's a good minor league signing. They might start, you know, building out Charlotte a little more with, you know, the Zach Delpies and stuff like that. But they aren't in a position where they're coasting or they're a finished product um, just yet. They're not. And I want to start by saying this we pointed out for what this top nine could be. It could look very different, but this is just a possibility that they could have opening night. They could still, I mean, they could do Barkoff or Hagee Duclair, Reinhardt, Huberto, Tippett, Hornquist, Bennett, Lindell. That, that's just one possibility. It yeah. might not be a, the, what we see, but I mean, that's... Come on. I mean, come on. Tippett, there's a couple of names that, I, you know, I don't know if I'd be slotting them into a line yet because I think they're... Part of the names that Zito wants to see how camp works out and stuff, where they could be, uh, uh, you know, trade bait and, you know, Tippett, Denisenko, I think are some of those guys. Whenever you bring in the amount of forwards that Zito does that are win now, top nine forwards, Duclair, Reinhard, Bennett, and you sign them, and you have a prospect like Lindell become, you know, overachieve what, you know, the consensus was of him at the time you're squeezing out other guys like Denisenko and Tippett who have maybe taken a little bit longer to get going. Guys like Vitrano, Achari are susceptible to getting moved, um, you know, depending how it all shakes out. I, I think that Tippett, who, the way he improved and the way he played by the end of the season and in the series against the Lightning, I think it's kind of hard to imagine him. Denisenko would be more likely. I, I, mean, I don't think that's going to happen. But did he do anything that isn't, you know, if you can get value for him, and I mean, this is something we talked about off air, but you know, they're on TSN. They were talk, going over the Jets and everything, and Dreger, Dre, uh, yeah, Dreger and Ferraro were talking. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Uh, he he's he probably looking for a more of a 
the starter role. So, um, but you know, they were talking about how the Jets might be willing to move Billy Hanola uh, for for forward. If you can get Billy Hanola for Owen Tippett, I mean, yes, Owen Tippett's steps forward last year is why you can maybe get a guy like Billy Hanola, who you can see as being a long term left side defender and looking at the D prospects, looking at, um, you know, Florida's cap friendly page and stuff. That's where they need help. And to be able to get somebody, Vili Hanola, who's an emerging D prospect who can play minutes this year and in the next, and, you know, probably in the year after that, start being a real top four contributor. It is probably worth it. Um, it is, you know, that's somebody that you can plug and play with Ekblad to finish out his contract. I, I, I would definitely about, be I in that. I want to talk about for a second because based on some of the defenseman contracts we're seeing, $7.5 million for Ekblad for the next four years, including this? Yeah, one of those contracts being uh, Darnell Nurse uh, might be hitting the $9 mil mark. Oh, God. And if that's the case, I mean... They got, I mean, not only either. should Toronto... Not only should Toronto trade Mike... Uh, whatever, not Mike Morgan Riley. He just Riley. got overpaid too. Morgan Riley, because there, there's no way they can afford Morgan Riley at this at whatever rate he's going to be getting next. Uh, but you know, if I had it, it makes Montour's deal a little better. Um, because if everybody's getting probably a million more than they should now because of what the defensive market is, um. You know, that's not too bad for Montour, who at least is young, mobile, athletic, and there are offensive skill sets. There are, you know, shot. he does contribute a lot to shots and things like that where you you can make it work. You know, the, there was some chemistry with Nudovar. You can make it work. The guys like him, you can make it work. That's more sellable to me than Dougie Hamilton at whatever number he is for seven years. Million. Yeah. Yeah, that's I more sellable. I'll point this out, too. I mean, Mackenzie Weaver's making three point two five and was a Norris caliber defenseman last yeah, year. Yeah, I mean the Montour if after seeing the Montour deal, my first thought was how insulting to be Weaver right now. Where you're like, Oh damn, you know, if I wait if I just did a shorter deal or waited, you know, I'd be getting nine million right now. I'd be getting eight million, seven million at the worst. Crazy. But also Forsling at his deal for somebody who played as well as he did last year to get yeah. what he's getting and, compared to other defensemen on the market is insane. Right, and it shows that, you know, Zito is, he's got his, he understands the market right now, he's hes making his own bed, and uh, he's very confident in it, so I, I think it's exciting, but I mean, if you're, I'm, I'm still, I'm looking at this, and even with the Forsling and New, or Forsling being good, Nudovar and Montour pairing working, Akblad being healthy, you know, if Uyghur can play that top-line pair with him, you know, th- there's so much to like. I'm a huge Juleson fan, but that's a lot of guys who play their best hockey on their right. Um, you know, Uyghurs and Forsling are probably your only real left D, um, and that's a bit concerning to me. So to get somebody like Hanola, who I, I would say is the first or second-best defensive prospect in the world right now, uh, would be a coup. And I'm just going to talk it up this time because I'm not sure how much traction it, that trade rumor will ever get or anything like that. It's a Canadian off-season trade rumor or on the radio, so take it. But 
if it's true, there's there's no way if Zito's the person we think he is, the general manager he is, not the person. I shouldn't say that. We know hockey people are not. You know, hockey no. people are hockey people. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, yeah. Anyway, we'll let you down, uh, and I'm not saying Z- Zito will let us down. I hope he doesn't. But uh, hockey people are hockey people. Yeah. Except Paul Vincent, apparently. Yeah. Maybe, maybe about that. Uh, but as I say, like right now. Defense is, is the area where they could most use an upgrade, but I have no doubt that Bill Zito isn't checking in on everything as he always does. As I mentioned on a previous podcast, they they get linked with everything, and it's because Bill Zito checks in on everything. So if Billy Hainel is available, I'm assuming he's checking in on that. We'll see. Yeah, where, we'll and see I think I think you got to make a concerted effort because I think stylistically. He is a Mira Heiskanen type player you can put next to Ekblad. He's going to log big minutes. He's going to show up in big games. He's going to do whatever it takes to win. He plays his position, and oh yeah, he contributes offensively. You know, the the one problem with him, and the one reason the Jets will trade him, is because he's not over six foot. He's probably going to be six foot. I don't think that matters, though, because if you're going to play the way the Panthers are going to play, I mean... And if your partner is going to be Aaron Ekblad, I think it's kind of balanced out. Well, you have Ryko Gudis, you have Ekblad who could do that, but also the way the Panthers play, you need guys who can skate. If you're going to play the way the Panthers are going to play, and and that Jack Hahn breakdown heading into the Lightning series is is a great explainer. There's also a a Dim Filipovich article on Elite Prospects today that goes... Part of it goes into Panther systems and stuff like that relative to their new signings and the bet they're making. So, Yeah, but I mean, like, if you're playing the way that they're going to play, you, you don't want big guys who can't skate. Like, that's not the way yeah. and, you and, want to and, play. And, you know, Montour's a big enough guy who can skate. Same with Forsling and, and you know, Uyghur, especially the way they play. Um, you know, it, it, it all comes down the wash if you're competitive, if you're – if you have good skating posture, if you know when to make contact, how to receive contact, and if you have a good center of gravity and you know you, you know how to carry a puck to not lose it, it doesn't matter, man. I mean, Marty St. Louis was built like a like a tree trunk, you know, below his his waist, and you know, his legs were just oh, oh god, that that's. Uh, <sighs> Oh, I was in I trouble like three, three words into that. Fair oh, enough. God. It's fine. I know what you meant. I know what you meant. You know, not that there's any, you know. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's my line. Uh, anyway. Yeah. But, you know, it was hard to get him off the puck. It's hard to get, you know, Kimo Timonen off the puck. Kimo Timonen could keep guys away from the crease. Kimo Timonen could keep, you know, rebound and second opportunities off the opponent's stick. And that was by getting underneath of him, being strong from his core, uh, and, and just knowing how to position and, and timing and, and all that stuff. And that's something Honola has. That's something that the D, that the Panthers look for. Um, you know, Montour has it offensively and getting in the rush and stuff. And if they think that they can, you know, get his defensive awareness and his defensive instincts a little more, um, even just like, a little better and just you know more the other way his contracts can be paid for itself and you know especially because i see it ending in a trade for to replenish the picks not a bad debt not a bad deal i mean i'm you know when montour sucks i'm gonna call him out and i'm gonna be like oh they never should have signed the deal and everything just because i wouldn't have signed it but i mean looking at 
all these deals. Looking at you know Hawk and Paw getting almost two million. Looking at um, yeah, I probably would have given Sutter the extra year and, and got in for just around Montour, but that is more of a problem down the road. Montour isn't. I, I can see why they didn't do it. I can see, like, you looked at the Montour contract and you thought, eh, when it was signed. And then you saw what happened the day after and you're like, now it makes more sense. Now yeah. I can see why they did that. And you're yeah. going to... I mean, Leafs fans are even more forgiving of protecting Hall after, in the expansion draft, after seeing, you know, what was signed after. Because the theme of the day was, it's probably better to keep your own guys and well, keep them at... Better to keep your own defenseman and draft yeah. and develop your own defenseman. Because, I mean, again, Carter Verhage... It's the cheapest. It's the instance, cheapest. I mean, Carter Verhage, I, I, I love that the charts that uh, Jay Fresh and Micah, Dom were all posting. And, and Carter Verhage was breaking the charts. It was so good. Yeah. And, and Corey Schneider's charts, too. And you looked at it and you go, he's getting paid a little shade under 4.2 for three years for his peak to do that compared yeah. to what defensemen we're getting? Please. And... I also want to I want to go back to just the asset management to get to this point for the Panthers, and this includes what they did to get to where they got to with the trade deadline last year. If you think to get Montour, Bennett, and Reinhardt, and the cap space that they got to make all these deals happen, what they did, they gave up Emil Haneman, decent prospect, a second-round pick, a third-round pick, a lottery-protected first, Devin Levi, who they essentially replaced by drafting Gerasimyuk in the fifth round this year, they got rid of um, another second-round pick, but that's three years down the line in Kolyachanok. And you go, none of those are things that you can live without. You know, none of those are things that you go, wow, they had to give up a ton to get him or a ton to do this move. So you go, okay, maybe they're a little lighter in their prospect pool than you'd like them to be, but they're not losing anything going down the line where you go, wow, they are screwed. They are selling their souls to win immediately. That's not what they're doing. Yeah. And they're I mean, finding a way to balance long-term considerations with the present really decently at this point in time. And that's, and that's positive. I, I don't see any move where you're like, wow, that was too steep. No, you're right. I mean, and the only, you know, when it comes to asset management, it's like, okay, they're probably out of D prospects to trade and they're probably out of draft picks to trade unless they're going to trade their 2024 first rounder. I think they're going to keep their 2023 first rounder because it's that draft is you, you just want to be holding that, that ticket that year. Um, and you know, they, they don't have a second in 2022 or 2024. So, you know, they have, you know, a couple of thirds and fourths and fifths they can trade, but as far as like the real draft assets, you know, they've kind of used all of them. They've used all the real tradable, gettable value, you know, D prospect in College Hanuk, their goalie prospect in Levi, you know, but that's, again, that's what do they do now? They can divest from some of their assets like Vetrano um, or, you know, just people who are outside looking in and get some picks back or Montour if it doesn't work out this year, next year. Or the year down the line at the deadline, they can get some picks back. So, so let's get to the two things that are still really outstanding for the Panthers before they get to training camp, which are contracts for Reinhardt and Barkoff. And I still think both of them are going to get done. 
The Reinhardt contract is interesting because he is 25. He's done a lot of short-term deals. I, you would think he'd want a long-term deal, but knowing the Panthers, I'm sure they're going to do something three, four years like they did with Bennett. And the number is interesting. What is that number going to be? Because the one thing that Bennett and Montour and some of these other players got is they already went through the Panther car wash and got their stat bumps. Sam Reinhardt has not had that yet. So if you're the Panthers and you're betting on your ability to, again, make players better now that they are down here and they get the stink of wherever they were off. In Bennett's case, it was Calgary. In some of these other cases, it was the Sabres. So if you are the Panthers when you're doing this negotiation, Reinhardt last year was on a $5.2 million. I think you're, he wants probably somewhere between six and seven. I think, I think if they get in the low sixes for three years or maybe four, you're probably happy with that. And I think that's what they're going to try to do. It's, it's, again, a give and take of do you want to give longer term versus are you willing to go up on the AAV because you need every dollar once Barkoff's new deal is going to kick in and then eventually Huberto too, and then Uyghur and also other guys as well. So for me, I think that a four-year deal at something like 6.25 AAV is probably where they're going to land with Reinhardt. But as I said, it's different this deal compared to the others because they already went through the car wash as opposed to Reinhardt, who hasn't yet. And they're betting on the car wash more in this case. Yeah, I, I get that point and everything. If The way I look from it, it perspective is twofold. Reinhardt is 25, turning 26 in November. So basically him and his agent are not unless it's like a big deal and you're going full seven they're not going to want to get tied into their 30s because you don't want to be hitting the ufa market in your 30s you know you want to be you know 30 you know maybe 31 so teams will still give you some term at a at a big price tag um so you you know, I, I don't think like a, you're right. I don't think like a seven, eight year deal well, is necessarily on the table. Well, sense for the Panthers considering what they have to do. However, I think, I think, you know, you do kind of have to insulate yourself against the shoot. You, I'm being really careful here because I don't want this to ever happen. I don't think it's likely or anything, but you never know, especially because it's going to be a whole year later than all this. You have to protect yourself against losing Huberto. And I think giving Reinhardt a four, you know, a similar term that you did the Bennett four years at, you know, six, six and a half, uh, you know, six, eight, if you have to, and maybe do five, um, another year on top of it to, to get some value. So then, you know, if you do lose Huberto at the end of the deal, you have Reinhardt, you have Bennett locked up that, you know, you can maybe move one and, and, and get some picks or whatever. Or, you know, you have some players, you know, to play with Barkov. Ringers to said, play like, with Barkov. He, what Bill Zito wants to do is he doesn't want to lock himself into anything much beyond what he has to. He doesn't give out extremely long-term deals, which is probably wise. And also... You know, he wants to make sure that his players feel rewarded, and I think that's what he's going to try to do with Reinhardt. But as I said, the difference in this negotiation is that he has not played yet for the Panthers, so they're betting more as opposed to, even though Bennett and Montour were very small sample sizes, they already saw what they could do. You know, with Bennett, I mean, he played really well in the playoffs in addition to playing really well when he got here in the regular season. Like, there is something that they can tangibly see, and whatever the public numbers are, you know they have more behind the scenes. Bill Zito is looking at that with the guys he has, 
again, whether we know about them or not, he's, he's, he's always looking at this. And this is an organization that plans everything. Or Bill Zito likes to do that. He wants to be prepared. So I think that's going to be interesting with this contract. But then the next one is Barkov. And I think this one's a lot easier because Braden Point just signed eight, nine, 9.5. Like if the Panthers gave him that exact same deal, basically, you'd be going home laughing. You'd be going home laughing. That would be the deal that would be great for everybody involved because then Barkov would do the same thing that, that Point would do is saying, hey, I'm taking a little less, but I'm also in South Florida, so I'm making a little more and I have creative accountants, you know, and then that little bit of extra money can be used to ensure that we have a chance to win for many, many years to come. And that's what Tampa did really well to keep their window open. And I'm assuming that's what Bill Zito's going to try to do with Barkov. So as I say, eight by 9.5, if that's the deal you're giving Barkov, everybody's going to be happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I've always been saying it's eight by 9.8. That's always kind of, but it wouldn't be surprised me if it was 10.8 or something. Uh, I think it comes in between nine, five and 11 million for eight years. Uh, And it really just depends on, you know, how much does he want to take off for Huberto? Because Huberto is not going to come in double digits but he was going to come in probably a strong eight a I strong think eight and this is where those tampa comparisons become very interesting because what has tampa done really well they've gotten guys to take a little less than they probably should to well, they got, stay together they got their top guy to set the bar and then they did it with the understanding that no one exceeds it and that's why Braden Point went up to the bar with Kucherov because, you know, you can't yeah, you, you can't, can't go ahead of Kucherov right. or Vasilevsky. And, I and, think- and that's kind of what you, you kind of have to do. Like, Barkov's going to be the bar. I mean, yeah, there's a $10 million goalie, but you really just, you know, skaters, and you say, you know, this is a new... I didn't sign that deal. This is the new thing. Barkov at 9-8, Barkov at 10-8 or whatever. Um everybody's going to be proportionally under that uh, or you're not going to be here. Um, and, you know, Barkov's the player to do it for and to make sure oh, you yeah. win with Barkov, that's what has to be done. Yeah, and the way that I think that, they, that they're setting this up is Bill Zito waited a little. He got Reinhardt. He wants to get that done. And now he knows he has a direct comparable with point. And that makes his job a lot easier. And if you're getting Barkov at anything under 10, as you said, then you're, you're, you're going home laughing. You've done your job. And I think that that's hopefully what's yeah. going to happen. And I think they're taking care of it. But Bill Zito wants to get all of his other ducks in a row, which is getting all these other extensions done, getting all these other deals done that he needs to get done. And now that allows him to set himself up to do Barkov. And I, just quickly on the draft, because I think you wanted to get your, your hits in on the prospects. They might not have graded out as highly as the Lundell draft did, but they have a, a certain thing that they're looking for with their prospects, whether they be, uh, you know, whether it be Sam Miskevich, a kind of guy who has flair and excitement but has a good ability to process the game. Same with their defensive prospects. And when you go for a guy like Lukasevich, who I think played in the same junior program as Gregory Denisenko, so they know that program really well. They got a goalie who has really high upside, but you're not going to see him for six years. Who cares? You're essentially replacing Devin Levi. You know, they're, they're going with what they have as a plan. I think one thing Bill Zito said is, I learned from, you know, Jarmo Kekalainen how to draft. And they're not going to look entirely similar to Columbus drafts, but you can see what the plan is when they go into a draft. And 
it earns the benefit of the doubt. And I think as we start to transition to other teams, it's what Bill Zito has done and what the Panthers have done since Zito has arrived is they've insulated themselves with the moves they've made, the plan that they put in place, that they've earned the benefit of the doubt, even if we might quibble with things here and there. And for the history of Y hockey, that has never been the case with the Panthers. It is now somewhat the case with the Panthers. And that is a huge step that they've taken in a year. And it just, it just shows you that if you get your GM higher right and you set up your organization the right way from the top on down, then, then a lot of things could change really quickly in a positive direction if you get that one move right. Yeah, but I think you have to fail a couple times, and, and the Flyers are learning that uh, right now. But, I mean, yeah, I gave their, their draft like a B-. minus. A lot of people were giving them basically a C, B, C plus, B-. minus. You know, it... It wasn't a bad draft. I didn't dislike any of their picks. You know, anything after the goalie was, I didn't know, you know, whatever. Especially in this draft, there's so many prospects I didn't know. It didn't really matter. But um, the Russians, I obviously really liked. You know, those were B-plus picks to me. But, you know, the first two picks I thought were B-minus. You know, B-minus, they get the B because the skill set, you know, we can talk about it with Samo. Uh, that's what I'm going to call him now, uh, Samo Skevich. Uh, but I think Samo is, uh, you know, he has the drive, the work weight, the compete that we saw a lot in last year's draft. But he has, you know, the skill set that says he should be drafted between, you know, 20, 35. Um, so I'm not too upset about that. I didn't rank him. I didn't have him on my list because I was like, you know, in this position in the draft, there's at least eight or so guys I would draft before him. And by the time I'd be ready to draft him, you know, it didn't make sense to put him artificially low on my list. So I, I put, you know, you got to keep the numbers on your list low. You only want 70 some guys on the list. You don't want 150. And I mean, based on um, what you do, you're, you're, you're looking for European guys. Yeah. You know, I'm, as I'm trying to, to give guys a in the USHL. Yeah, more. You know, I figured Samuskevich would be on a lot of other lists. People would know who he is. Same with Evan Naus. Uh, you know, with Naus, it's his skating, his posture. Uh, he's very calm and collected. He's great breakout pass and everything. But you know, like Will Scouts was saying, the Q um, and, and a lot. You know. The level of play in the queue wasn't super great, and the queue has really deteriorated as a as a league, especially with the divisional play and, and COVID and everything. So, um, you know, and some of the like in the first round, Lambos or Oscar Olausen, who Colorado picked and got good grades for picking, you know, in the late twenties, I thought those would probably be the two guys I would have stepped up to. Uh, there were some guys who fell based on my rankings, like Shibrakov. Uh, Billy Koivinen, Aturati. Um, like, I, I hated seeing Nikita Shubrikov go to the Rangers or, like, you know, Koivinen going to Carolina because, of course, that's what they needed. Um, but, you know, I, I, I trust the pick. It, it's, it's something that will most likely work out and you can agree with the logic, and that's all I ask for. Same with Naus. I mean, Kapanen, Salmanen, you know, all the ins. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, there was a defenseman, Dmitry Kuzman, from Belarus, uh, who I think is such, was such an upshot defenseman. Um, you know, he's really talented offensively. He has a ton of skill, but he plays his position. He has some pro experience in Belarus. I mean, it's not a great league, but 
at 52, it made a lot of sense. Uh, you know, and then Kursanov, uh, Kirill Kursanov and Victor Sturmberg Sporg were uh, two guys, two Euros who fell the first round. And I thought, you know, they were still available at the time they could have drafted. But when I saw the draft, my first instinct wasn't, oh, why didn't they pick that guy? It's, oh, that's an interesting pick in a good way. Like, oh, I want to see what they can do with that. There's, It's moldable, the talent, the skill sets there. And then, you know, picking Lukashevich in, I guess that was the fourth round, right? Yep. I had him basically where Naus was picked in my rankings. So, you know, this is somebody who just, he was a Bambi on ice. He shot up he in, in height. He was only 160 pounds, maybe, you know, and he's like 6'4", 6'3". He skates really well. He, he passes really well. But, like, some of the finer points and things, with like his hands and stuff and his um, transitions, you know, pivots and stuff just aren't there. And he's, there's just a lot to do because uh, he's just so raw. And, but if in the fourth round, that's the type of pick you want. Somebody who, you know, scouts said had first round talent at the beginning of the year was expected to be in the first end of first round, second round um, defender. Um, you know, the old scouts would call him big and rangy. Um, but I think, you know, his passing and shot contributed contribution data and stuff shows that, you know, he's a modern defenseman too. It's, it's an interesting way of going about it, but they have a plan and they have a draft yeah. um, identity that they want. And it's a lot of smart players, just guys who are yeah. smart that have the ability to be flashy, but the, the ability to process the game, I think, is something that's very important to them. And a lot of these other things like size, this, this doesn't matter. If, if you've got the brain, as we say – there are a lot but, of things that can go as a hockey player. I've, lear- I've learned it from Igor Larionov. I said it in the other show. Your brain doesn't go. If you've got a good hockey brain, that can carry you. Right, yeah. They got they did get some size, I mean, as far as, like, height and stuff. So, I mean, they did cover that, but they didn't leave skill or anything off the they table. They didn't, they didn't go uh, size for the sake of taking size. I mean, that's yeah. essentially what they're doing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely would love – you know, the one thing that was really noticeable for me is you look at last year's draft board, you look at this year's draft board, they do not seem, there's obviously overlap and stuff, but, you know, it's, everybody put the Panthers mock draft down a whole different route down, you know, their first couple picks down a whole different route because they were expecting a mirror version of last year. And it was nice to see that they're not predictable. Um, you know, and they're not boxed into one way of thinking. Um, you know, so there's that was also I wanted to By the way, that. can I say you're seeing some of the pictures from the draft night and you're like, here's Bill Zito with Roberto Luongo in the sunglasses and Brett Peterson on his other side. It's just like lean into it, guys. It's beautiful. I love <laughs> that they're doing that. Just you have this thing that nobody else other than Tampa has, but you have it. And it reminded me, I'm like, ah, they're going to do a boat parade down, you know, the intercoastal in Fort Lauderdale if they win the cup. Great. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot yeah, of fun. I, I will be there for that. Um, so, so I think that's pretty much it on the Panthers. As I said, I like the way this team is shaking out. I think they're going to be so much fun to watch going forward. They obviously can improve along the margins. We know that this team has a step to take, of course, but it's, it's going yeah. to be a ton of fun. Just a one note on the schedule, which was released. Um, there are a couple stretches that are a little that are a little gross. Uh, they have a stretch in March where they do a California road trip plus Vegas, a six day break, and then the three Eastern Canada teams. So that's going to be a little rough. It's like I think three plus weeks where they're not playing at home. 
but they got a lot of interesting home games early. I mean, by the way, how about the, the Panthers for the biggest gate weekend of the year, which is the weekend between Christmas and New Year's, Montreal Rangers, Tampa. Whew. Go to the BB&T be Center fun. for those games. They are going to be wild. Also, you know, I think they're going to get 20,000 plus for that Saturday home game against the Islanders. Just you're good. The BBT Center at times this year is going to be a madhouse. I can, and the the yeah. home finale against Tampa too. Oof, there are going to be some nights at that building. We've talked about it repeatedly. If you go to the BBT Center for a big game, there aren't many better rigs to watch a big game. Holy crap! There are going to be some fun games at, at the BBT Center this year, and they got a chance to. They don't have crazy road trips until really the back half of the schedule, like January, February. Well, February with the Olympic break, but if we have it. But they yeah. got a chance to really get some stuff done early on, which is it's going to be fun. So I'm looking forward to the Panthers. Now we have to talk about the Flyers. And we were yeah. so excited we sh- about Ryan Ellis. And then – Yeah, well, we, we like, should keep this quick because it's really hard to digest what Philadelphia and Colorado has done and, and really be able to speak on it with, you know, final form thoughts or even just form thoughts. But, you know – I don't know how a team can take something that was such a lopsided victory in a trade and then turn it into a possibly losing off season so quickly. Uh, I This has really made me just go back and look at the tenure of Comcast as the steward of the Flyers and, and what they've done. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. you know, all of that, but they got a player in Claude Giroux in the late first round, pretty hard to do, and he became a, a hell of a player, one of the best players in the league, like top five player in the league. Um, had the playoff experience young, had the, the run to kind of form him and everything, and then they've just done nothing since. Um, the best thing they've done since that run, I, I thought really, was the, the trade for Ryan Ellis. And then they followed it up with moving a a lot for Ristolainen, more than they moved for Ellis, which I didn't understand how somebody could give up so little for Ellis and then give up so much for Ristolainen and think that that is a good plan. I just don't know if they're having too many people make decisions or, or if they're jumping from thing to thing and they're just being overreactionary. But the only positive I can say is change for change's sake could be positive here um and you know hey maybe Ristolainen you know I really liked him as a talent evaluator and a prospect I I thought you know he was good and I think my stance is Buffalo had ruined him now in saying that I don't know if there's anything to reclaim I don't know if there's anything left to get back if he's salvageable you know to me it's a Mike Matheson write-off I don't want anything to do with him anymore um and they paid a lot for it they do we'll see how it goes i think it's a the way he's acting and you know his problems in buffalo was running out of position to hit people the way he's coming in the philadelphia talking about how he wants to be a piece of shit he already has the slick backed hair um so that's gonna work really good and that facial hair um but it's gonna i think like the philadelphia fans and this team's going to exacerbate that issue so I don't know how that works out. Jones is a goalie who, it, in any form of chaos or pressure, I just don't think he has the mem- like the short-term memory or the mental fortitude to 
play for a team like this. I mean, we saw it in San Jose. Uh, he was a good goalie prospect. I think he's just kind of an in-between tweener, netminder, maybe more of a 2B, like, you know, a poor, uh, a lower team's backup goalie or something like that. But maybe Philadelphia is a lower team now. I, I, it's hard for me to say they grade out well in, in the models and things like that. G and, and Couturier are, are good. Faraby, JBR ain't half bad, but... I don't know. It, it's it's hard to really even just find a like. I wanted them to pick a lane, and they've picked the go like they picked the lane, win it, go for it now, and everything. But how they're going about it is so buckshot. Again, I'm kind of thinking like pick a plan, pick a you know. But we'll see how it forms. So it's wanna, still incomplete my, offseason. My opinions here clear on on the Flyers. Like going for it is the right move. The Metro is a morass of samey teams. None of them are better than the four best teams in the Atlantic. So the Flyers, if things break their way, can win. But Martin Jones is bad. He was not good in San Jose, and the yeah. Sharks fell off a cliff, obviously. But this Flyers yeah. team with has expectations and the way that they rebuilt that decor. And if it goes bad for Martin Jones here, then the Flyers fans are going to torch him. And that's not a healthy environment to be in. We saw what happened with poor Carter yeah. Hart. And I hope that they can both get mentally right. It's key to be mentally right here. Uh, but, I mean, that's a defense core that has a mess that can that could be a mess, and we will get to more of that in a second. Uh, let's focus also on the other thing that they did, which was Voracek for Atkinson. And now that we've seen a lot more of Cam Atkinson because of the recent playoff runs and what he is in Columbus, like I don't mind that trade. I think Atkinson can score goals. I think that a change of scenery will do him well, and it's clear that Voracek needed a change of scenery too. You know, I think yeah. there's a possibility that 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 top six can work with with Hayes and, and Couturier down the middle and. You hope for a bounce-back season for Konechny. You hope that Giroux can still drive forward and be somewhat Claude Giroux. So I don't think – and obviously you have Farabee who can, who can take a step up. You, want, you can expect maybe more from Oscar Lindblom, who had a, obviously a tough season last year, but completely understandable. You know, like there, there is potential there, but the possibilities of things going wrong are very apparent because Ristolainen is – Again, we know what Ristolainen is. It's hard to say what that, you know. That Keith Yandel is Keith Yandel. Keith Yandel is Keith Yandel. I want to get to say, the goaltending is the goaltending, and I hope that Carter Hart is better. And for, I, we're not, we've spent so much time on this podcast talking about Keith Yandel. I'm going to say this to Flyers fans right now. You're not scratching him. It's going to be impossible. You can't do it. See what happened in Florida. Uh, they don't believe you, man. They, they, you can't. He is, anything you say to, anything you say to Philadelphia fans right now about Yandel, they just they just are only looking at the best side because they don't watch the Panthers. Anything that happened in Florida doesn't matter to them. It's it's oh that was Florida. You know even though Florida was good and everything, it's oh you know once we get him to a real hockey club that knows how to do it, you know he's back with AV, he'll be fine. They're yeah. just seeing the Rangers. Well, I'm gonna say this you know. and I'm putting it out on the record now because obviously people know that I am a native of the Delaware Valley, so I know this place very well. Keith Yandel is a bottom pair defenseman who needs to play extremely sheltered minutes. If you give him any sort of tough assignment, he'll get turned. He can play power play. That's about all he's useful for. And you won't be able to scratch him if he's bad because of the Ironman streak. So it's it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, you can see and he, why a and, team and would want to do the, it. With the, with the Flyers fans don't understand, they keep pointing to the Ironman streak like, well, 
you know, he wouldn't have played over 900 games if he wasn't good enough or something like that. It's like, he wouldn't have Actually, played over 900. Actually, the opposite he of that. Yeah, he, he would have, the he streak would have ended. the Panthers into playing him, and then when there wasn't an Ironman streak to lose, they scratched him in the playoffs. Like, yep. that's the point we're making here. He has to play every regular season game for them, even if he's bad. And that is a thing with the Flyers when you have, you know, obviously their top pair is going to be good, but then you have Ristolainen who's going to need to do things. You know, there is risk associated with that. Now, we saw that if you paired him with somebody who is willing to do the things that Keith Yandel cannot do, that was Radko Gudis, that it can be passable. But I don't think that passable is going to be acceptable for the Flyers. It was barely acceptable for the Panthers. And I understand that Flyers fans, you don't watch Florida, and that's fair enough. But I'm just saying, passable is not going to be good enough because when Keith Yandel is bad, it's extremely noticeable. And go back and watch the games he played in the playoffs. That's against Tampa, who is, again, Tampa. You can see what happens when it goes wrong with him. The, the decision-making in his own end is not there anymore. And because of the weight he carries and the things he's going to do coming into that dressing room. Sorry. It's going to be what it is. So I want to get to a couple other things briefly as we start to kind of tie a bow around this. Uh, just some other things. I mean, for this, the, the Flyers in this Metro division, I mean, they're in a morass of a bunch of teams. They're samey, right? Everybody's basically the same. All of them are distinctly flawed, right? And, None of them have the upside of any of the four best teams in the Atlantic. They don't. So, I mean, that's why I'm saying the Flyers going for it makes some sense to me. But, boy, I mean, I couldn't tell you who the best team in that division is because yeah. there isn't yeah. really one. Again, I mean, the Islanders might be the best team when they get to the playoffs, but they're going to have regular season issues because they have a 13-game road trip to start the season, and that is brutal. Don't care what team you are. And the Islanders eventually get found out in the regular season, so that's a problem. I mean, and the Rangers, boy, if you give me enough chance, I'll rant about how awful it is what the Rangers are doing, getting Tom Wilson red mist in their head, trading for Ryan Reeves and adding Jared Tenorti and all these guys were tough, but you're making your team worse. Like, that team, on the track they were on, if all you did was change the coach. That Rangers team had some incredible upside, and they still have some upside, but they dulled it for no adequately explained reason, other than they hate Tom Wilson and the Islanders. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that division is going to be funny. It's, it's just going to be, be it's going to be a comedy and... of, of a bunch of teams tripping over themselves. Yeah. yeah, and and to be honest, it's same. The, that division is going to be how I might feel about the Flyers this year. It could go either way. Who really cares? I'm just getting ready for them. If it doesn't work, to blow it up, and if it does work, to double down and in the next off season, and you know, just take it from there. Hope that you know. If it does go bad and they do bring it down, they you know they get one of those generational players in that twenty twenty three draft. So you know we'll see how it goes. It's it's such a morass of samey teams. Yeah, and, and, and Jersey and, is now kind of in that because they signed Dougie Hamilton, so they're in, indicating they're trying to be better. I mean, adding him does not make them immediately better. I think the Devils are so overrated. I think Jack Hughes is so overrated. I think Dougie Hamilton is so overrated. They already have the overrated PK Subban. Hamilton is not making them immediately better, and they still have a myriad of issues. And Carolina, I mean, you don't need us to tell you that signing Tony D'Angelo was really stupid, and 
that they kind of burned all that goodwill with the fan base, which is hilarious. And it's terrible that they're doing that for a guy that isn't really that worth it. Uh, but letting Hamilton walk, the goalie moves they made were very odd. You know, they are worse now, demonstrably worse than the team that was the best team in the Central Division last year. Demonstrably worse. Boston and lost Krejci. Boston, well, Krejci wasn't what Krejci has been, and obviously he had a great He's still career. top five in playoff points in He's recent a good memory. Player, He's I still like, a 2C. I like two some C. of the depth that they added. I like the depth that they have. I think that, you know, defensively there are some concerns. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And the goaltending with no goalie. he was good in Buffalo, but, I mean, you hope to Rask eventually at some point is healthy, but Boston's going to be there because they just know what they're doing when it comes down to it. Last year they just got worn out by the end by the Islanders. But they're going to be around. Toronto's goaltending is better, but they still don't have the depth, I think, that would require them to challenge in the way that I think you'd like to. But I mean, I don't think as I said, their front office is that smart. I don't think their front office is that smart. I think a lot smart. of Leafs fans are starting to agree with you. Uh, can I say the funniest out? I've seen some Leafs fans talking about what's the funniest outcome when, they, when Felino signed with Boston. I said, the funniest outcome for the Leafs is they play the Panthers in the playoffs, and they lose to a team with a longer playoff series win drought than them. That is the funny outcome that happens next year. Because yeah. the Leafs haven't won one in 17 years. It's been 25 for the Panthers. If the Panthers beat the Leafs, then chaos reigns in Toronto. And it would be a really, really fun series. Don't get me wrong, but the chaos would reign. Uh, the other thing, I mean, Tampa, they're just going all in on being really annoying. Corey Perry and Belmar, how many, well, how many things are going to – happen when those two teams right it's oh my word it makes sense though i mean like what do they have to do get better at skill wise nothing they just have every team coming for them and every team hates them like every team hates vegas so you just kind of have to insulate yourself against that and, and i mean and perry sh- and belmar are going to be annoying but again alex barry boulet ross colton somebody else is going to come in and do what they do and yeah they lost Johnson, Gord, Goodrow, and Coleman. And those, <laughs> it's and not so, a loss when you turn it into like a winning trade proposal. And they turn it into, well, they turn it into a way to LTIR and, and it works. And, and uh, by the way, Brent Seabrook's contract is insured, so they're not actually paying out that much money. It's just a creative uh, accounting move. But Tampa's going to be Tampa, and so I think that's why that division is very difficult. Um, we'll say this on Montreal. First of all, you don't need us to tell you what they did at the draft. It was incredibly offensive and stupid, and the victim is being... It's just, it's such a shame what is happening to her. She deserves so much better. Can, I, I would like to say something now. I, I, that I think that this this is an incident that has given me some, some clarity and other things. That there has been so many players in the CC, CHL that have come through either recently drafted or not drafted that have had um, sex charges, you know, sexual harassment, you know, pictures all this different stuff i mean there were a flyers prospect you know and a couple at the spitfires i believe um and i I don't remember the team but like this is something that happens way too often and what i'm scared is going to happen is everybody's just going to pile on to the Montreal Canadiens and this, 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 and this instance and everything, and they're just going to keep using the names of this one person and this one victim and this. I think, you know, this needs to be taken care of, and this needs to put in perception of everything. This is one giant conversation right now 
what's going on in Carolina, what's going on in Chicago, what the league's doing to help Chicago bury it, what Joel Quinville's doing to help Chicago bury it, um, what we've done in the past, why Bobby Hall is still used on NHL commercials, um, why is Sean Burke still working for a team? You know, w- this there is so much that needs, and this is all in one thing. And I think when we everything can get so hyper-focused and hyper-sensitized on one thing. And to me, my big takeaway from all of this is this is all one big conversation about how there's a lack of accountability and leadership in the NHL when it comes to their player behavior, their franchise behavior, and the people who work and make up their NHLPA and make up and work the league offices and make up and work these franchises on the business and hockey side and it needs to be taken care of in a swift and meaningful manner because this I mean this is just disgusting and I'm getting to the point where like with other sports I just eventually tune out because it is just so stupid I think I, I made the point with, with Will. I said that this is a problem that is not just a Logan Mayu problem. It happens everywhere. And as I said, the next time this happens, and it's going to be a next time, that it's not going to be the kid. It's going to be the culture of the sport. And I'm talking everybody at the junior level. It doesn't matter where you are, what country you're in. You are in the firing line because you are the guardians of this. If you know this is happening... And you do because it's, it's ubiquitous. People are telling you this. They're not lying. This has got to change. The culture that allows this to happen. I'm not forgiving Logan Mayu for what he did. I'm not forgiving the Montreal Canadiens for what they did. Because they are, I mean, Logan Mayo, I hope he's able to get right. But I doubt the Canadians are going to help him get there. And the Canadians, you already know what has been said about them. But this is a culture that is far beyond one person. And it's got to stop. And I hope that people are now understanding just how pervasive this is. And the Blackhawks situation, I hope, is making people understand how pervasive this is. And we have, to make it, we have to make it stop. And it is incumbent on everyone to hold people's feet to the fire. Don't let it go away. You know, I think that I give credit to Sarah Sivian, who covers the Hurricanes and does a really good job asking questions. And the people who cover the Hurricanes ask very strong questions about Tony D'Angelo. And that was good. And the people who are covering this Canadian situation are doing a really good job of asking questions. They're very difficult questions, and you can see they're difficult questions because people don't have answers. And the people who are covering the Blackhawks, like Rick Westhead, are doing an incredible job of holding people's feet to the fire. And it has to be done. But it, the, it is not but this is what, sport. But what is But what is done is people are held the feet to the fire. The million-dollar PR firms that are hired and consultants that are hired to do what they have to do to withstand the initial wave, withstand it, and then it just goes away. There needs to be constant, every general manager's meeting, board of governors meeting, this needs to be a nonstop conversation. And it can't just be about certain, we can't just focus on the certain players' names and the certain, play, and the certain victims because all it does is just create more harm and more damage to the victims. We need to just be, ta- we need to, uh, this is n- not going away. And, the whole, we need to just hold the entire league office and everything said, underneath I, of it accountable I, I until it's this. done. I will say this now, and I've said it before and I'll keep saying it. What 
happened when Luke Prokop came out was all good. It was very nice to see the support. It was nice to read the stories and see that people understood the gravity of the situation. But that does not excuse you for what else is happening. And you cannot point to that and let that obfuscate what else is going on. Because that one good moment is not going to be able to get you out of talking about the rest of this. Because... I mean, I ha there's every evidence to think that Luke is just a unique human being who was able to do this in a way that others can't. And this culture's got to change. If this sport wants to grow, if this sport wants to be what it can be, then it's got to change. And we will always hold people's feet to the fire in this. And I know, I know people who are willing to do that. You should read Rachel Story's pieces on, on EP Ringside of what she said and what she's had to deal with. And Rachel, I might disagree with her on some hockey-related things, but I have no doubt that she's an incredibly incredible person a smart person who deserves to work in the sport and deserves to be treated like a human being rather than what she's been treated as by people in hockey, which is completely unacceptable. Uh, and we should judge people on merits, not anything else. And that is what this sport should be. And that's in all cases. Uh, just quickly, we're going to touch on some other things because we're not going to get to everything that I want to get to, but let's get to wrapping this up a little bit. Or anything else you want to talk about moves-wise that you found interesting? No, I mean... Still waiting for the Eichel deal and everything. I don't even um, know what, what could happen at this point because all these yeah. teams are dropping out. Like, I guess the Rangers are still involved and could still pull it off. I guess a team like maybe Anaheim I, could do it. I think what Buffalo doesn't, real, Buffalo doesn't realize is by waiting, they're hurting themselves. I mean, his injury, uh, his contract, uh, his reputation, all of that stuff is not happening not helping them and it's why teams aren't willing to pony up the equivalent of four first rounders to get him uh and the ones that they are are like they fit the loose definition of a fourth rounder but like come on th th that's not what buffalo is looking for they, they, um, to, they have not done a good job in this situation i thought that they did as well as they they pretty well with wrist line they did decently well with reinhardt but I mean, if you're going to trade, Eichel, you were you're at get it right. You were at a draft where you were in a moment in time where people were throwing shit around for defensemen and stuff. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, you're move, definitely move not right. Eichel at that point. I mean, we don't know. We don't know the deals and everything. What was offered and all that stuff. But I gotta imagine somebody's offering and willing to take a chance and is offering something really good for him. And they got to. I, I guess I'm saying. Coming, him coming back after all that's happened this year just does not seem feasible. He is not showing up to training camp now. I wouldn't be surprised. I, a couple of other things, I think, um, for Colorado, I mean, they got kind of played in the goalie market the way that it happened with Grubauer. Joe Sackick hates goalies, and I don't think that he's getting played in the goalie market. I think he's always just willing to risk it all in the goalie market because he's done that three, four years in a row now. Um, he's just, and then, and then he'll go and pay up for the trade. You know, that's how they got Grubauer to begin with. Um, and they did give up a decent amount to get, I, I thought that as soon as Grubauer was gone, I thought they were going to get a uh, Vanacek because I mean, they just keep getting Washington goalies and that was somebody that'd be available is available for cheap. And then I thought maybe they'd get flatter for a third round. I don't know. They have some good, decent goalie prospect. Uh, you know Trent Miner and Eustace uh, Alt Altonen or Alnenin or uh, you know I'm not looking at the name in front of me so I'm useless with it but um, so I think you know I, but 
that's the big issue. I'm looking at Colorado. They got worse this year. I mean, they, they were gonna they were gonna get worse by matter of fact, but you know they did good with the Landeskog deal. I mean that that risk that Sakatuk p- played off, but you know, man, their Belmar replacement is Darren Helm. They got Darcy Kemper. I mean, I like Darcy Kemper and everything, but that was a price to pay for Darcy Kemper. Yeah, I mean, Uh, the defense core is not as good. I mean, losing Graves and Timmons is – I mean, they will find players. They're good enough to find players, but they're they're not as deep as they were. They're still really good, but they're not as deep as they were, and that is an interesting concern for me. They are still one of the best teams in the league. They're still going to be a cup contender, but they're not quite as good. And right. that, they took a step back. Like, there's no doubt about yeah. that. Vegas also, boy, so they must have been listening to us because now Evgeny Dadnoff is playing with Riley Smith and Jonathan Marshall. So isn't that hilarious? Yeah, I mean, Dadnoff is a good pickup for them. I thought, you know, they kind of – my thing is what they did to Mark Aldenreich Flurry, they should have used that cap space for somebody a little more important than Evgeny Dadnoff because, I mean, that – the, how that played out, Mark Andre Fleury. I I'm a Flyers fan who hated him. I you know I always hated Mark Andre Fleury. It took me a long time to get over that just fandom and, and you know see how great of a guy he was and see you know how he keeps coming back on and off the ice from adversity and all that stuff and you know the years of what everybody in the league says about him to then leave it in a position where he feels that disrespected. I, I and then to, to I don't think they got better because of it. I think they got worse. I, I I don't know what Vegas is doing, but I hate Vegas. I've always hated Vegas. I like Seattle just to hate Vegas. Uh I hope Flurry gets out of Chicago and can find you know, hey at this point let's get him with Bob. Let's get Bob Luongo and Flurry teaching Knight how to play hockey. I don't care, you know, what has to happen. But he could go uh, back let's get to Pittsburgh, Flurry. which would be quite interesting to me. Also, I, I don't quite get what Seattle's doing here. I do. I, everyone's freaking okay, out about it. it everybody's confused by what the Kraken are Everybody's doing. freaking out about it because they're not, like, maniacally trying to get every ounce out of every team at every stone. And that they're not trying to immediately tank or they're not trying to be, you know, they're not trying to exploit every market inefficient, you know, everybody online can, you know, can, can sit there and keep running things and getting the most out of it, but they're not in the actual market of what's going on. They didn't, they're leaving themselves all the options. And I think what has happened is every team has spent just as much time game planning what Seattle's going to do as Seattle has spent game planning what they're going to do. Every team was ready for them. Every team fought everything tooth and nail and decided that we were going to make it harder for Seattle, even if it made it easier for another team and harder for us as well. That They just went into, we don't want to be embarrassed like last time. They overreacted. Seattle decided that, they could have probably pushed for more and dud things and stuff, but um, I also think that some things fell to them, like Grubauer fell to them. I don't think that was originally planned. It's uh, hard, though, to see. Like they, they might make the playoffs because the teams that they're competing for in the Pacific are not good other than Vegas, but 
But just... so, so yeah, what bar do they have to clear? I mean, they got good players. They they're building. You know, they didn't get anybody bad. They didn't give out any bad term. They were in. I mean, other than Grubauer, you, you could say and stuff. They were in on some bigger name players. You could say, yeah, they should have taken Price, they should have taken Tarasenko and everything, but Tarasenko's really hard for St. Louis to flip right now that they had they couldn't keep waiting to flip them to sign Saad, so they just had to kind of announce the Saad deal um, and kind of limit them in other spots, you know, with Cairo and, and Thomas and some of their RFAs until they can get Tarasenko moved. So, I mean, I nothing worked perfectly and i think last time everything worked perfectly there was a lot of suckers vegas went to bank and then you know some of the things that vegas messed up on you know worked out like they took uh you know who's the defenseman they took that was the vegas native that Derek england yeah and then he ended up being pretty good and serviceable for over a year and a half and then they traded him for asset carlson went on a season-long bend right you know exactly i mean there were there were things that they got lucky for and we don't know that's not going to happen to seattle either well i do find it funny that our old friend chris drieger just got gazumped again i don't because it's pretty i mean he was the best goalie at the time but uh he's not good enough to not do that deal with grubauer if you're an existing if you're an expansion franchise and to me if i was colorado i would have signed that deal six by six with grubauer as well because you're in the win now mode. I know they don't, it doesn't feel like that because they're the fifth youngest team. And I think ultimately that's what Sackick said. I can't get into the term on any goalie because I'm the fifth youngest team. Um, but that's a dangerous game to play the other way. Yeah. I mean, I also want to say that quickly, also Pacific Division. Um, the Arizona Coyotes are executing a teardown as well as I've ever seen a teardown executed in this sport, maybe in any sport. Maybe yep. the Chicago Cubs are trying to do that right now with the fact that they're trading literally everybody away for peanuts, um, including trading Javi Baez to my beloved New York Mets for only one decent prospect, which is quite funny to me. But the Coyotes, I have to give them credit, just complete teardown. They have seven picks in next year, the top two rounds next year. They're getting all these bad contracts off the books. They're going scorched earth next year, and it's and I think starting from scratch. It's really well done, actually. And and I think that um, they still got Dvorak to move, right? Um, I'm not sure they're going to move Christian Dvorak. Well, Boston, I think, is going to be very interested in him now. Boston, well, maybe Christian Dvorak for for Jake DeBrusque or something to that effect. I don't know. But why wouldn't they do? I mean, it's a teardown. They'd probably do picks and stuff like that. But but... they now have a a, like Scottsdale's a flyer that doesn't really worry. I mean, not a flyer, but you know what I mean. Uh, Connor Timmins and Chikrin. There, there could be something there. For the Coyotes, they're going to be terrible. But this is the time to be terrible, and it's again. A they're trying to do the make the playoffs, make some money, and be the middle mediocre, but just have so many draft picks, it comes out in the wash, and they can still have. You know, they have so many second oh, round draft picks. They're going to be terrible next year. They've got no goaltending, and their forwards are all a bunch of Andrew Ladd types and Beagles, and they're going to suck. But you know. And that is uh, the Y Hockey Podcast for now. We were going to have much more coming throughout the, I promise, throughout the coming months uh, leading up to training camp. There's still much more to get to. Hope you enjoyed this show. Hope you enjoyed the show with Scouts. There is uh, more on the way. And again, good night and good hockey.